Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the What's Happening podcast. We took a little break. We are back and we're back with a vengeance here. Uh, one of my best friends in the world is joining us, Brandon Bartley. Uh, Brandon is uh, just a great dude. He's He and I have uh, become friends through business. Uh, he's a loan officer and a branch manager with Citywide Home Loans. Um, but over the last six, seven years, we've become very, very good friends. And uh, Brandon, it's a uh, it's a pleasure to have you, man. It's great to be here. You know, I always say when I introduce you and I always tell people if they're going to call you and talk to you on the phone, if I tell clients, I'm like, man, Brandon's one of the nicest guys you will ever meet. And you can like almost hear him smiling through the phone when you talk and you get on <laughs> and you get in your element. It is, uh, it's, uh, it's so genuine, man. So, uh, Thank you so much for for uh, for being here with me. You got it. This is great, Trevor. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. For, man. First podcast ever. So really, I mean, all yeah, right. Here go. we go. Let's, let's go. do this it. This is awesome. So you know, one of the things that that you and I have developed over the years is is that steady ritual. Once a month, you and I get together and have happy hour. Mm -hmm. And I literally don't do that with anyone else. Just you. Like you and I have so like such a good connection personally. We have such a good connection professionally. You know, we always say it like when we're done, it's like, dude, good hang. Right. 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 Good and, hang. You know, we we always get we we get something, you know, from each other, whether it's personal, whether it's professional, you know, new knowledge. We we've just developed such a good connection and friendship over the over the last, you know, gosh, how many years have we known each other? It's gotta be six or seven years, six, I'm guessing. Yeah. Six or seven. How how long have you been in the business? How long have you been a loan officer? Sure. So I started in the business in 2005. I was in sports marketing before that, uh, golf sponsorships, went to NASCAR, got laid off. Best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> Best thing that ever happened to me. You just got bored of that. Got, yeah, just went the into the full, full circle. So what happened was they uh, sold the company and moved it to North Carolina. And then I was without a job collecting unemployment, same unemployment rate it was back then in 2004 as it is today, which no is kind of interesting. Huh. No uh, no dollar cost averaging there for, <laughs> for, for the unemployed. For the unemployed. Huh. Yikes. But uh, what happened was I actually got a real estate license and I think I have the longest inactive real estate license because I've never hung the license since I got it in 2004. You maintain it and you I, do I still have it <laughs> 24 hours a so I know the Arizona purchase contract, even though I've never put my name on one. No, you don't. You do. You pretend to know it just because you're right. Yeah, line, uh, yeah. You'll get docs there three <laughs> yeah, days prior to close. Line 230. Yeah, right. You'll get docs day, yeah. same day. Same day. Don't worry. We can table for They're coming. Notary's on its way. But uh, oh, so then I had a, a friend who was a realtor at the time and said, you should get into the mortgage business. And I've been at, at I was at People's Mortgage for five, six years and uh, which legacy home mortgage was a broker that I started with. We merged into people's and then citywide since 2010. So, and at 2010, did you get your own branch at that point or did, what, did you join citywide and then, sure. and then so become a branch manager? We were the first branch in Arizona. Uh, there were four branch managers and it got a little bit too many cooks in the kitchen. Four headed so monster. Yeah. That, yeah. that wouldn't work well. So, uh, Citywide has been a great company and we had the chance to be the first one in Arizona. So then we split apart and two people went and started their own branch and we started our other branch and both of us are still here and have successful uh, branches for Citywide. So it's been that's, great. That's crazy. I mean, I, I think that's a testament to, to one, who you guys are and who Citywide is because, you know, one of the games and it, 
honestly, it's any vertical that I've ever been a part of, whether it was when I was a health insurance broker, uh, whether it was when I was working for um, uh, a management consulting firm, um, my background in, in the law, um, real estate, insurance, you know, all every vertical that I've ever been in, there's a dance. It's like, right. oh, there's a golden ring somewhere and you go and you move companies. But for you to have gotten your branch and hung out at Citywide, I think it says a lot about about who you are and about what the company is. Otherwise, you would have, you would have chased something sure. else. Well, everyone's got good rates. Everyone's got great service. It's really about the people that work there. And I've been lucky to have such a, a good support team at the branch that's been there years in our corporate office, our processing, our underwriting. They're just, they will go head over heels and, and help out not only me, but our clients as well. So that's been, it's the people that really make it there. Yeah, that's cool. Now, what, like in your industry, as a loan officer, what does it mean to be a branch manager? What does it give you? Does it give you a certain level of control? Does it give you like, you hear it all the time, oh, this is my branch or I'm a branch mm -hmm. manager, but I don't think people in and out, out, well, I'm sure in the industry, but like in my, on my side of it, the real estate side of it, I don't necessarily understand what it means. And I've learned it over the years with you, but like, I still don't know all the ins and the outs. So like to be a branch manager versus like an, a loan officer under you at a branch, what does it mean to be the branch manager? So a lot of it's just helping people get their business up and running, managing the office, taking care of different things that are happening with regards to loans for other loan officers, giving them ideas on, okay, here's how you can help grow your business. Here's some little nuances we can do. Here's a, a client experience program. Let's put that together. Uh, just kind of oversee the branch operation and be a liaison also to the corporate office. If someone has a problem with the loan, then they might come to me to to help them out and then connect with the corporate office to get it resolved. And then so as a branch manager, too, you also get a certain amount of financial leeway, one, right, to make things to make sure. certain things work. But also with the with the loan officers under you, it kind of works so that you get you get a little bit like you're not just giving away free help. Right. You're giving advice and you're helping them grow their business. But when they close deals the branch earns some and then in return right. you earn some as well. Well, right? I always have to say there's, you know, people say, okay, we charge $14.95 for processing and underwriting, but we have processors, they have income, they have healthcare, we have underwriters, and that's just, whether it's a $100,000 loan or a $600,000 loan, it's $14.95, gotta keep the lights on. Right. So you gotta keep the beverage center stocked. Yeah, gotta keep the coffee <laughs> flowing, right? Gotta keep right? the coffee yeah. flowing, premium coffee. <laughs> premium, none of that low grade stuff, yeah. Yeah, so it's, uh, but we, we do what's called a PE or price exception. So let's say uh, we need to do a, a lender credit for, let's just call it $500 to help with the appraisal for somebody. Uh, our loan officers can give a certain amount of a price exception and then over a certain amount it comes to me and then i talk to the corporate office and make sure that okay is this loan still profitable because we're not a non-profit business right got to make got to make some money right absolutely you know i think one of the things that, that you and i have always connected on you know really from the beginning you, you and i were introduced to each other by mutual mm -hmm. friends and clients Charity, yeah yeah and so that one the introduction the relationship introduction got us going and then we both quickly realized that we're both relationship guys and that's how we run our our business you're you are you are a buffini guy you make sure that you're top of mind and relationship stuff what does that mean how is the what is the importance of of cultivating creating and maintaining relationships to to you and your business it's everything i mean you you hear all the time on on 
radio and advertisements, the the iBuyers, the the Open Doors, the Zillows, they're 0.5% of the market. I mean, it's unbelievable. Relationships are what people want. And yeah, you're going to have people that might say, okay, I'm going to go here for $500 less, but it's just doing the little things and being friend. I, when I got married, I had clients at my wedding. I didn't know them before I was clients. They're not going to the CEO of Zillow's right. <laughs> wedding. It'd be a bad, but, sure. <laughs> but that's what, they're always going to be a market for that. And just people want, it's like when you go to a restaurant, why do we always go to Moto? Well, we, we know what we're getting there. We know what we're getting. We, we, we like the banter. Yep. Right. The banter with the owner is always fun. It's always yeah. fun seeing you get beat up by him. <laughs> a little bit beat up. <laughs> we've done a few deals from people. We really have. Yeah. There. Two. Yeah. I can think of maybe even more. And we, we text them. We know them. They, mm -hmm. you know, go see him. But that's, I mean, that's, I go there because of the relationship. Right. We could go get a cheaper beer somewhere. Right. But we don't because we know what we're getting. It's right. a relationship thing. We always have good banter and conversation there with with each other and with the people around there. Yep. Huh. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, the the relationship side of it, and that's where you and I, it's like it, there's a really good kind of simpatico. You know, if we see activity with one of our mutual clients, we're always communicating about it. What can mm -hmm. we do? How can we get this over the hump? The strategy portion of it um, is one of the other things that I, it, I've always appreciated about you and that's your your longevity in the business your your status as a top producing loan officer and as a branch manager gives you a wealth of knowledge and it's like these things and that's what i always tell clients when i introduce them to multiple loan officers which i do and <laughs> you and my other lender partners hate it but what what i always tell them is this is a partnership mm -hmm. it's as important with the lender relationship as anything to develop a partnership. So calling multiples and, and making sure that you're aligning on one, I understand what this person is telling me. It's not just, you know, Greek or, you know, high finance. It's right. actually, you know, okay, I can make sense of the dollars and cents. And then two, make sure that you like the personality across the aisle, because there's a lot of that that, that has to intermingle from a consumer standpoint. But where you and I really excel is, and we do this all the time, it doesn't matter whether it's a you know, we've got a $1.6 million deal going right now, and we have a $150,000 deal together right now. Right. And literally doesn't matter. We're strategizing on both of them. And we're making sure that our clients' best interests are in front of us. And I think that that mutual, that reciprocation, that like, yeah, there's a machine behind both of our businesses, right? There's process orientation. And we're doing the same thing with every client every time, whether it's one six or one sixty. Sure. It doesn't matter, but also then being able to text or being able to call and say, hey man, what about this? Did you hear from that? What about that? Hey, I see an issue coming up here. How can we put our heads together? I mean, to me, that's so important in any relationship. And it's one of the reasons why we have maintained such a good professional relationship is being able to communicate effectively and then develop a strategy, develop tactics and work through them from there. Right, we follow through. I mean, if we say we're gonna do something, we do it. And I know I could lean on you for things that might come up that it say, Hey, have you seen this before? I mean, we've been in the business a long time. I've been doing this 15 years. There's things this week I see that are just never seen before, but you figure it out. You get the answers where it doesn't just go into some abyss. You know, it's, it's funny. Cause you and I, you mentioned that we figured out, we call each other even on deals that we don't have together. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, Hey man, have you seen this? Have you seen that? How about this? And I think that's, that's, it's so instructive of, you know, one of the things that I love about you is 
if I introduce someone to you and there was, uh, there was a situation, it was actually the, the, one of the developers of this building, I introduced you guys to each other and he was working on, on a tricky finance deal. And I was like, you got, I was like, you got to call, you got to call Brandon. And I saw him again, like three, four five days later. Right. And the way he described it, he's like, he's like, man, I really like that guy. He's like, <laughs> he's like, I called him. I told him, he's like, okay, this, all right. This is, you know, an interesting situation. And he's like, and then two days later, he calls me back, goes, okay, I've been thinking about it and blah, blah, blah. And that's what you do. It's like, it's almost a puzzle for you. Sure. It's in front of you. And you're like figuring it out piece by piece and going and asking the right people and leveraging your relationships and your knowledge base to figure it all out instead of just like, oh, it's just a number or it's just a loan coming in. It's just something on the yeah. board. Like, no, you're getting creative and, 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 uh, and figuring it out and following through and making sure that like, even if, you know, being a second set of eyes, there've been plenty of times where you've been like, no, nah, I'm looking at your loan scenario. Like, I can't do that. Like, I'm going to treat you like family. Good. If I can't do it and you get a better deal somewhere else, sometimes with builders, sometimes you just never know. Do that. Go with them. I would tell my own family to do that. But sometimes we're going to be the better fit. But it's funny. You were talking about relationships is on the way here. I had a client who I did a deal with about six months ago, and he's an executive with a media company. And he calls me and I'm like, hey, what does he want to talk about? Refinancing? Like what's going yeah, on what, here? Yeah. Where's the business? He's like, yeah. So I know do you know anyone that needs uh we're looking for a paralegal i'm like paralegal well that's interesting so it was kind of cool that here's a, a past client treated him great he's now reaching out to me to reach out to my network to see if i could find somebody that would be a paralegal fit for his company that's so interesting so so it it essentially you're viewed as a value center and you're viewed as someone who can deliver value outside of lending alone. yeah and um, and and that to me is one of the core tenants of being a relationship person. And it's one of the the core reasons why I wanted to get into a business where I knew that I could that I could continue to create and evolve relationships where I knew that I could connect people because I would I had always been a connector in in any of the businesses that I that I was involved with, any line of business. It was like you and you should know each other. Yes. Like I don't know what's going to come out of it, but I think you guys should know each other. And you know, oftentimes those would create good relationships, but there was no way for me to like, if I was derived as providing value, there, there was no real way for me to, to get that value returned. And now it's like, Hey, you know, you look at a guy like you and you look at a guy like me, we're more multifaceted than just like, you know, putting on, you know, buckling right. my realtor pin right. to my lapel <laughs> and, you know, you're putting on your, your coat and going into your, you know, loan officer den oh, and doing geez. loans. Like, den, I don't work in a den. I, don't know, I just figured, you know, <laughs> like, on, I didn't know man. what to call it. We have lights I and mean, windows. I mean, it's an office. It's, I mean, it's no casa, but no, you know. No, it does I, smell we, nice we, in here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the scent is one of the, yeah. the many uh, aspects. It's a, it's a full-fledged uh, feel when you yeah. come here to, to casa. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So, when you're working with clients, like, you know, getting down to kind of brass tacks in mm -hmm. the business, like when that first phone call comes through, what are some of the, some of the things that you go through? What is, what's important for the consumer to know? Like I always tell people first step is to talk to an agent, mm -hmm. right? Uh, selfishly, right? Um, but, but the, but getting out of the, you know, the self-important aspect uh, of that, the idea is that by calling me, I can lay out a strategy. Hey, here's the process. Step one was calling me. 
Step two is leveraging my relationships, right? Let's connect you with loan officers. Let's get you with the right person to make sure that you can come back to me with a number. I don't need to know your income. I don't need to know your debt. Sure. I don't need to know any of your financial stuff. So I'm going to hand you off to Brandon. He's going to come back and say, hey, they can buy at 600. They can buy at 150. They can buy at 15, whatever it is. And then once we have that, we know we're, we're good to go. But that handoff, from the time I hand them off, like I don't necessarily know what your process is. What is what's important for people when they're going to get a home loan? I know that that first step, mm -hmm. and even for me, when I went to to seek my own loans, that was the scariest step. Like it's, you know, my gosh, there's skeletons in the closet or what am I really gonna qualify for? Gosh, sure. we're, you know, what is it? This Is this gonna be painful, right? So what is important for the consumer to know when they're calling a loan officer? Right, well, marketing makes it so, you know, you think you literally can just go pick up a mortgage down at the grocery store and it's over and they're gonna give you $400,000. It doesn't work that way. I mean, there's, so when a client calls, I always ask them, Tell me a little bit about what you're looking to do and get a story and kind of listen, because when you hear what their plan is, then you can kind of backwards into what their best strategy should be. Mm -hmm. So one thing first, you know, with all the different COVID rules that have happened over the last year and a half, do you have a job? It's important. Well, great, I have a job, but if you're self-employed, there's a different set of rules being self-employed. You have to show two years of income. Well, what happens if you have a write-off and a note due and payable on an office building in less than a year? Well, that goes into different things. So it's gathering information, um, down payment, and a big misconception is how much down do you really need? Technically, you only need 3% down on a conventional loan. A lot of people don't know that. So someone might have a problem getting down payment funds, need help from a family member for a gift. So there's a lot of different strategies for that. So the, the, the conventional loan. Yep. You said 3% down and that's for that the the loan limit in Maricopa County for conventional is what? 548250. That's a, such a random number. Yeah, every year it changes right. based on uh the average sales price and uh, you know, you just never know what it's going to be, but typically it's gone up the last few years cuz obviously look at the market in Maricopa County. What do what are we looking at for for jumbo loans? What 10% uh, down, 15 You can 20? do 10% or a lot of people you can do what's called an 80-10-10, put 10% down, have a first mortgage of the lower rates on the conventional and then have a smaller second cuz a lot of people will qualify sell a house and then pay off their second mortgage or do what's called a recast because they want to sell their property get a lower payment. And so they'll put a big chunk. Usually you have to put 10,000 or more to recast your loan. Okay. So, so, so through that process, that information gathering, what else are you looking for? Like what pitfalls, what, what are some big things that you see consistently come up? I want to know where you're buying. Are you buying a manufactured home? Are you buying a condo? Are you buying a townhome, single family? How quick are you going to close? Do you have another property? So that's big too, because if you have another property, well, are you going to sell it prior to closing or are you going to try to sell it after closing. If you're going to sell it after, do you qualify for both mortgage payments? So I'd say income consistency is number one with job and assets, and then obviously credit scores. But people are actually pretty good with their credit. You pay your bills, you could, you could fix your credit in three to six months. And that's one thing that we do is help people fix their credit and don't charge them a dollar for it. That's awesome. Just, just enable do, them to do. Just to, enable to, to do out. it and give them advice. Do this, this, and this. Open this secured card. Pay this off. Try to settle for less on your collection, perhaps, and then let's revisit in ninety days. Cool. Because the last thing you want to do is show them property and they don't qualify. Well, and that's it. And that's that's why the first step for me 
or step two. First right. step is let's have a conversation. Second step is I hand them off to a lender because we won't show homes unless someone is proven. Have you ever and gotten burned? Probably early in my career. Yeah. But even then, you know, uh, I had the fortune of, of being at like an old school, like, you know, top producing office for Coldwell Banker, the Biltmore PV office. Mm -hmm. And there were just a bunch of old pros in there. So the education I got there was like, yeah, if they haven't proven their financial ability to do it, don't go. And I still see a lot of agents do it, right? I mean, listen, if you're struggling, if you're hungry, if you haven't had a deal in a while, if you're new to the biz, like you just want to get out, you just want to solve get a all deal, problems, more right? leads, more choice, more leads, more leads. Right? right. And so you, you chase things. And if someone calls, I mean, it's so funny to this day, when I talk to this client, he brings this up. One of the first deals I ever did, I was sitting in the Coldwell Banker office and we had what was called floor time where you could sign up every month. Everyone got to sign up for, I think it was three, three hour slots a month where if that front desk uh, off uh, phone rang, they would deliver it to the agent on duty. <laughs> and so it was like, hey, they're driving by a sign, they pick it up, it runs to the office, the uh, the office, uh, the receptionist looks at the, okay, Trevor's on duty, sent it to me. And it was a couple that was, that was uh, visiting from San Diego and deciding that they wanted to relocate from San Diego. And um, it was 2011, 2012, you know, there's still some short sales pushing through, things were moving really rapidly. Our market was moving really rapidly. And they called and were like, hey man, we're in front of a, we're in front of a house. And um, you know, we we're, we're here for the weekend. We'd love to look at some places. Um, you, you think you could come out and show us this place right now? And, and I started going through the questions that I had taught, been taught to ask. And one of them was, you know, are you pre-qualified? Right. Uh, and the other one was how quickly are you planning on doing this? And, you know, the prequal answer that he gave me was, was now, nah, you know, I haven't done that yet, but, uh, you know, I'll qualify no problem. And then it was like, okay, well, what, how, how, how quickly are you plan on doing this? I don't know, three, four, five months. We're just kind of figuring it out. And I said, Hey, listen, I'd love to show you the house, but it's not going to be a good use of your time or mine right. right now. If I, if I jump out there and, and, you know, leave what I'm doing to go show you a home and you're not ready, I'm like, the home's not going to be available in three, four, five months when you're back. And, and I just don't know whether you can That's do the funny it. thing. It doesn't cost a dollar to get pre-approved. It you run your credit. But you could run your credit a couple of times. Just don't go buy a car or a boat or something like right, that. Right. Yeah. Washer, dryer, all that stuff. You, I hear it all the time. Someone wants to make an offer on a house and then all of a sudden they didn't get pre-approved. Yep. They lost the house because they weren't prepared. They you weren't ready. Be prepared. You have to be ready. And so even then as like a very, you know, wet behind the ears agent, I said no to that guy. And he was pissed. I mean, he literally was like, whoa, you know, kind of got grumbly. And I, was, and I just, I stood my ground. And I was like, I'm sorry, just, you know, I'm sure you can find agents that'll jump out there without knowing whether you can do it. Right. But like, is that really the type of agent you want to work with? Someone will drop something to go chase something they don't know is real. And we, we hung up. It wasn't like a bang, you know, the next day he called me back hmm. and he goes, anyone that would say no to me right off the bat is a guy that I want working for me. And he's like, I'm going to get pre-qualified. He's like, you know, let's do this. Who did and the deal? I don't know, man. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> I, it might have been you on it. Uh, no, that was right in the beginning. I didn't know you. I know who it was. Uh, they, were, they shall remain nameless. Uh, <laughs> we'll protect the innocent. But, uh, but literally, that guy called me back and is like, I really, I, I was pissed. And I yeah. thought, but then I thought about it and I was like, hey, if this guy's willing to say no, like if he's willing to say no to someone who is saying that they're real, that guy will say no to other agents. Like reintroducing people to the market is a powerful thing. Yeah. And, 
Real estate and lending, I think. Yeah, reintroducing and knowing what that lockstep is. You know, there are a lot of people out there right now that, you know, information is out there, right? Mm-hmm. You can be you can be sitting at your computer, you can be on realtor.com and Zillow and all of these, you know, sites where you don't need an affiliation with an agent and you can click on the want to see it. You can click on the like, let's go, or you see an open house and you show up um, or you see a sign and you call or you see something on realtor.com and you call the listing agent. In, in this marketplace, what I tell people, and when they call me, if they call one of my signs and I just activated it or it's been on for a weekend, like I probably have three, four, five, six offers. And then they call me and they go, hey, can we go look at this place? And my first question is, well, do you have an agent? Well, no. Okay, are you pre-qualified? No, I'll get qualified when when it's time. I just tell them no. No, sorry. Good I've got, for you. I've got, I've got three offers. Like these people are ready to go to take you from zero to a hundred and then to get you to be able to compete. It's just not, it's, it's not going to work on this deal. If you want to talk about getting yourself positioned so you can strike when you really want, I'm happy to have that conversation, but I won't, I won't get out there and show just a random house without going through this process because I know literally take them from zero to a hundred to get them ready to offer and be competitive. It's not a 15 minute thing, right? I mean, could they call you and get a prequel and blah, 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 but sure. But, there are other people knocking at the door. I've got three people that are super competing for this with agents, knowing what they're doing, yeah. with lenders knowing what they're doing. Like it's just not worth it. So the information is out there for people to to go out and get as far as like, hey, what can I? What sort of house is in this neighborhood? And man, can I go in and look? Sure. But when you're like, talking about neighborhoods. I'm kind of curious how it's going to go. So Rocket Mortgages open up their own real estate brokerage. The realtors are going to be based out of Detroit. Mm-hmm. How is that going to go? I have no idea. I mean, they may uh, I mean, they may rent they may rent so, agents out here. Who knows? Yeah. I don't know what they're going to do. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Like, yep. just Rocket, came out. Rocket Mortgage is one of those that you and I always like joke about, yep. right? I mean, people look. You you hear the commercials. It's like, man, I, I can get a mortgage like a rocket and right. you know be ready to go. And it's like, you just fall into an abyss with some of these companies. And like, that's where if you have a rocket mortgage prequel or one of the, you know, I always joke, I make one up. I call it lobster mortgage. Like what, you know, it's like, what, what other like names can we come up with for, you know, mortgages like, you know, giraffe mortgage or, you know, whale mortgage. And they've, they've done pretty good. I mean, well, obviously they will, but you know, advertising, pushing things through all that stuff. But you know, when it comes down to the relationship and the service, that's what makes the difference. And that's where you and I have had the conversations like, hey, if sure, you can go shop around Mr. and Mrs. Client, you can go to Lobster Mortgage or you can go somewhere like that and <laughs> get, get, I know, right? I think I actually think I saw Lobster like a ticket mortgage. broker named like Lobster Ticket or something and it's just like, Ticket Lobster. Uh, I play golf with a buddy and he just calls me Rocket. He just <laughs> calls like, you Rocket? Yeah. I'm like, you're such a jerk. <laughs> You've got great uh, friends. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean the 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 service versus the actual getting what you're what you're going to get and you know people think they're winning on price but they're losing on service. And in this marketplace, yeah, that's so competitive, if I as a listing agent get a prequal from one of those big banks or one of those online mortgage places, I know if everything is equal between two offers and I've got a local mortgage bank that I know and I can pick up the phone and call the mortgage banker and call the loan officer and have a chat with them versus an 800 number. If those two are the same, when I talk to my clients, I'm going to suggest, hey, go with the one with the local mortgage banker because they know the contract. 
They know what their obligations and responsibilities are within the Arizona contract. They care. I've done deals with this group. I know they can get it done. Whereas, you know, once this, let's call it, you know, big bank, once this big bank goes into underwriting, we just call an 800 number and maybe we get someone, maybe we don't. But Will it's a big be a bank call the listing agent and let them know how well qualified no. you ever had that? No. Huh. No, I think some, yeah, I think some local, but like, you know, you can have a local loan officer, one of these big banks, but almost as soon as it goes into like, oh, it's from this loan officer, you know, mm -hmm. trying to get you to, to, to work with them to it's in underwriting, it goes away from their control right. and it goes into underwriting. And so, you know, they, those guys may call and I, and typically, you know, they have their local number on the prequal and I can call them. Um, at least in the beginning and get a sense of, of how well qualified they are, how the processes are going to work. I mean, I always ask the questions yeah. like, um, but uh, it's not the same as having a, a local loan officer who knows the landscape, because right now with things being so competitive, if there's any weakness in the offer that you're presenting as a buyer, you may get overlooked. And that's what I tell my clients all the time. You know, I'll have clients that, and, and, good on them for getting out there and being proactive. They, they will call me and be like, Hey man, I got pre-qualified. Like, let's go. Okay, cool. Yeah, let's they get should, they should check a couple places. There's no harm in that right? at all. The competition is fine. Right. But if they come to me with like big bank, you know, and a lot of times the big bank pre-qual is just like a letter. It's a form letter. It's not an Arizona association of realtors, um, pre-qualification form. Right. The difference is that big bank thing says you're qualified at 400,000, uh, you know, pending X, Y, and Z, you know, hope it goes well out there. Whereas the the prequal, the the AAR prequal has a bunch of check boxes that I as a listing agent want to see. Have you verified their income? Have you seen that they have funds available to close the deal? Have you looked at their taxes? Have you run their credit? Right? Like I want to see that the loan officer has done that. And every time I call the loan officer that is associated with the prequel. I mean, you know, if we have 15 offers and these 10 aren't even competitive, I'm not going to. But let's say those 10 aren't, these five are, I'll pick up the phone and call. And sometimes those checkboxes not being checked are super important. Hey man, uh, you know, I got a, I got an offer from your client, you know, uh, Jane Doe. And uh, I see that it doesn't show that you've checked any of the boxes. You haven't verified income, you haven't checked taxes, and you don't know if they have the reserves to get this done. Um, has anything updated since you've done the prequel? Uh, <laughs> no, no, but uh, they're good for it. Like, no, I dude, had an agent to today that told me they got a pre-approval, but it had the loan officer's name where the buyer should have gone. I'm like, that's a- uh, It happens. Yeah. It happens. Like, I bet they're pretty new. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes that happens. Yeah. And then sometimes you'll get, you'll get people who just, you know, just like in any profession, yeah. you know, everyone's doing the best they can. But your best may be different than my best. Sure. My effort may be different than your effort. My experience may be different than your experience. Everyone's got to start somewhere. So like there's nothing wrong with an inexperienced agent or an inexperienced loan officer as long as they're willing to like they work need to ask questions it. and they need to have some training. Like they need to have someone they can ask to or a, a manager, just somebody to help them out. Right. And then and then have the the humility mm -hmm. to be like, okay, cool. Like yeah, all right. Let, let me check on that. Plenty of times I've called you my bad. I gotta let's fix this. Let's fix it. And, <laughs> yeah. and and vice versa. Oh shoot. Wait, we had one this weekend where we were talking and we literally downloaded and said, Hey, how do we prevent this from happening again? We mm -hmm. we got a little over our skis with with something and that was hundred percent your fault. I think that was your fault. <laughs>
I think it's 50 50. <laughs> right. We'll go join Blame the underwriter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Kick, yeah, kick the dog, right? Um, but you and I said, okay. You know, it, what, what it was is I asked if you could get an appraisal done in a very tight time frame right. to protect our, our mutual client. You're like, y- you looked and you were like, dude, I, I, that's really tight. I don't know. But you called the appraisal management company. We're like, we can do it. Mm-hmm. What neither of us took account of was the weekend, which shaved off two of our number of compressed two of our, days, right. two of our five days. Home of the three-day appraisal. Home of the three-day appraisal, <laughs> right? And the 14-day close. Uh, <laughs> but we were able to, instead of like getting pissy with each other, right. instead of pointing the finger at each other, we're like, okay, how do we prevent this? Lesson learned. Both of us need to tuck this one away so that in the future it doesn't happen again. I mean, the idea of asking even for, for a five-day appraisal is crazy. And the fact that you got it done in three is even crazier. But that's also a testament to your experience, your relationships, the ability of you as a branch manager to call the appraisal management company and work through it. And also a testament to you in the fact that like, you actually did the work. You know, you didn't just say, nah, I can't do it. One of my least favorite things, uh, my wife will say this too, is, is she knows this and my kids know this. Like you tell me something can't be done. I'm like, mm, really? Like it becomes a challenge, right? So if someone says, nah, man, you can't do that. Like I wanna do it. Or if someone tells me, nah, can't be done, I'm instantly like, really though? Like, can it? And like your initial response may be like, when I ask you, hey, can you get this done in five days? Your initial response may be like, what a jerk. What? <laughs> yeah, totally. What are, you, what are you doing to me, dude? I'll call no. your wife. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I need a drink, guy? right? Yeah, who does he think he is? But your initial response is like that, like yeah. laughing, but, but pushing back and being like, bro, you're asking a lot, but like, let me But check. I understand why you're doing it. Too. Right. You're doing it because you're protecting your client and their fiduciary. Right. So that's what you have to do. I mean, but, and we'll try. We'll always try. Right. And Sometimes but, it's not going to be an answer you like, but we're going to try. Well, listen, I would rather you do the research up front right. and come back to me like, can't do it. Rather than being like, there's so many people on uh, in the world that their initial response when they're faced with any sort of like, challenge uphill battle something that's outside of the lines of the normal box that they that they operate in they'll be like ah i don't know man i uh like the hemming and hawing before you actually do the research to know whether you can do what what we're trying to do i just don't like it some of the things you're talking about is kind of bringing my mom was a first grade teacher and taught for 35 years and all the stuff that you're talking about is can you try will you give your, your best will you be nice to people Will you have relationships like, we, you know, where you share your crayons with the kid next to you? Right. We're doing all that in our business now. I mean, that's we're just taking it to the next level. Obviously, we're not, you know, but a lot of the lessons you learn as a kid. Did you when you got your ten dollars from grandma, did you write a thank you note to her? Like there's so many different things that you do now that if you were raised right and you learned in school, crosses over totally it's golden rule stuff yeah right and it's and, and it's funny because jc and i were just talking about this yesterday and you know we were talking about it actually you know golden rule stuff um you know every day we go through uh, we have a huddle in the morning 10 a.m we go through our board everyone who's who's under contract and then all of our active clients they may not be under contract but they're actively working as sellers or buyers we go through each one of them in one of the situations we had i think it's a loan that you're doing too Loan docs are arriving five, six, seven days before close. And I looked at JC, yeah, bam. <laughs> uh, I looked at JC and was like, well, do the clients want to close early? 
Yeah. And then I was like, oh, you know what? I think they're going out of town right after close and they're not even moving in. So I'm like, don't even bother. And then I was like, no, 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 this is not my decision. Right. It, this, I'm, I can't, we have, when we have information in front of us that should be presented, it's our obligation to present it and allow them to make their decision. And so it's like, whoa, just these little reminders and these little, these little pops of like golden rule stuff. Like I was being asked, I was being interviewed for something a couple of days ago and it was like, what, you know, what makes for a really good real estate agent? And the answer is pretty simple. Just putting your clients first. Like this isn't about me. I mean, in the end, I do this business to provide value for my clients, to treat them well, to do right by them, to help them accomplish their goals. And then the end, a little bit of commission falls out of the bottom. Right. If I've done my job right. You can never do it for the money. You can't. No. Because people will know if you need the deal more than they need the yes. home or the loan, you can tell that right away. And then you get in a bad situation. Dude, you know what I call that? You've probably heard me say it. it's commission breath. Yeah. I can smell it through the phone. It's like, this oh, agent the, yeah, is like desperate for this or a loan officer is desperate for it or a party involved other than the buyer or seller is freaking out about something. Right. I've got a cross deal right now and I can't, I cannot understand the agent has this, this emotion wrapped up in it that the next time he got like, and he's, he's kind of uncorked on me a couple times. Like we're not side, like, dude, this is a very standard deal. Like we're not sideways on this. Like, why are you so emotional? And I, I haven't asked him yet, but like, if there's a situation again that that comes up and he and he responds emotionally, I'm just gonna stop and be like, hey, I, I think I'm missing something on this. You're responding very emotionally to a very standard set of circumstances within the contract. We're not asking for anything outside of it. We're not doing anything outside of the traditional lines of what we should be doing. Yet your responses have been emotional. Am I missing something? Is there something I should be aware of? Because so many times I think lenders and more so real estate agents can allow emotion to get in front of their client success. You know, there are agents that I, that I say will go around and they'll throw, they'll throw hand grenades in the room and then jump on it and be like, see that? I just saved you. <laughs> or like, they'll go around with a can of gas and some matches right. and light fires and put it out and be like, you see, I just put that fire on. It's like, that's not how you prove your worth and your value. You prove your worth and your value by making sure that no flames erupt, by making sure that no hand grenade ends up in the room, that no landmine is thrown out there. And if there are landmines, like, hey, I got a minesweeper. Let's let's right. let's clear the path, right? But I think the idea of of wrapping emotion and in putting your set of circumstances as a loan officer or an agent in front of your clients is a surefire way to, to, to not last long in this business. Couldn't agree more. Two, you need, once you get through two years, so number one, it's taking care of your clients. Number two, it's it, we do such a good job for our clients, meaning you and me and a lot of people in this, you know, a lot of realtors, a lot of lenders out there. And at what point do you ask them, say, you know what, I did such a good job for you. Why don't you refer me to your aunt, your friend, you know, People don't ask and they just assume that all of a sudden you're going to get a, a referral from a, a happy client because you jumped on these grenades or you took this and did that. They might not even be aware of it, but you got to just share with them. Hey, you know what? Will you do me a favor? We had a great time. We closed on this house. You got your dream home. Will you keep me in mind if you know anyone looking to buy or sell for the rest of the year? I love it. And do you actually proactively ask that question? Yeah. So I have a post-it note. Morning proactive afternoon reactive. Oh, interesting. Just a post-it note that I look. And is that, 
how did you? Uh, I have a coach, so Buffini coach. I've been in, in coaching for 15 years and it's just the little subtle reminders. And so, you know, you just, you gotta do that and ask him. If you ask people for help or something, they're gonna help out. You just gotta put it top of mind. That's, it's so interesting. And it's so interesting that I'm, I'm so morning proactive, afternoon reactive. Right. It's funny when I think about how I manage my business, it's like that. My morning is very rigid. Like when I open my computer, the same five tabs open up and I go through each one of those and get those out of the way. Mm -hmm. That's my proactivity. What am I supposed to be doing? What did uh, my staff done? Tracking them, making sure everything is done. What am I supposed to be doing? What clients do I need to contact? And I do all that. And then we show up here and and, and go through our morning huddle right. and go through each, each client. And then it's like email and the reactive stuff. But in the morning, it's like, get the clutter out of the way, get down to it. What can I do? What's the highest and best use of my time to move my business and my clients forward? So That's, one thing you taught me when we had our, our monthly meetings is I have my personal email and then I had a team email with updates. Well, I was on the team email, so I was getting 200, 300 emails a day and it was completely overwhelming me. And I'm like, this is, and so we came up with a solution. We had a strategy and we figured it out and it's been amazing because I don't need to know certain updates. I'm going to know them, but I don't need to know them right that yeah, minute. Yeah, you don't need to know them right that minute and you don't need to be cluttered going through right. it. That's where I think the value for me of that morning huddle is like, you know, so much of what we discuss. You meet every day? Yeah, we meet every day. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not on weekends, but right. but Monday through Friday, we meet every day. 10, 15 through. minutes is all you need. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we blow through and it's like, okay. And then that sets the next layer of proactivity, right? So when we go through clients and it's like, hey, wait, go go back to that. What What did you say there? Oh, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Well, are they aware of that? Or um, when is that happening? Or mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And then we set assignments. Okay. Can you email? I'll call. Let me put a note. I'm going to call. So then when we're done with that huddle, now we all have like two, three, four action items. Right. Go right through it. Take that proactive time. And then once we're through all the proactivity, then we can be reactive. And I, I don't like having a ton of reactive time because I think this this business and the, you know a Brian Northism is is busy versus productive, right? This business, you can be real busy and you can work 80 hours a week if you want. But I find that the most busy people tend to not be very productive. They're literally like, you know, emails are up and the, you know, their little their phone chimes or their their watch, you know, the Send Apple me a watch. Daily loan zaps. status update. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, or like, yeah, I mean. You know, you can get so sideways because the information coming at you from different sources is overwhelming. Like I can be, you know, we could step out of this and I may have 25 text messages and have 50 emails. And if I just allowed myself to get into that, like send, receive, send, receive, I become busy. And then at the end of the day, when I go home and my kids or my wife or both, you know, ask, how was your day? I literally frame it in the busy versus productive response. Mm -hmm. You know, actually, it wasn't like a super productive right. day. Or, man, it was a really good day. Like, it was a very productive day. That's how, like, it's never a bad day, right? I mean, a bad, like, these this business, as you know, in your business too, it's up and down. And it can be up and down in the same day. Like, this business will raise you up and yep. take your knees out within an hour. And so, like... Yeah, deal went sideways or I lost one or I just saw a client sold their house and didn't use me. Like, God, like 
that sucks, but that's not a bad day. That's just a part of the business. So for me, there's no, there's never a bad day. I mean, listen, if I have a family tragedy, if, if something really like life circumstance bad happens, okay, cool. But in the business realm, there's no bad days. There's just busy days and there's productive right. days. And so at the end of the day, when I'm asked that question, I quick frame it like, ah, oh, today was a great day. That means I made a bunch of calls. I moved the needle forward with clients. I I, I introduced them to a property that, man, we're taking action on, uh, solve some riddle uh, that's going on in my business, whether that's a marketing thing, whether that's a personnel thing, whether that's a, a structure and a process orientation thing. Like, man, that's productive. But busy is being reactive. Right. And of course, we need reactive time. Sure. We need to be able to get in there and respond to people when they email, let need our direct attention, get back to a voicemail, respond to the text messages. Of course, we need to do that. But the less time we can do, we can spend on that. And the more time we can spend on the real productive stuff and the proactivity, that's where the value is derived from guys like you and guys like me who have, you know, more than a decade worth of experience in the business applying, as we call it on our team, you know, focusing on our superpowers. What's mm. your superpower? What's mine? Like, oh, hey, well, I think your superpower is that. Mine's this. Like, why am I doing that? Why are you doing that? Like, let's go ahead and rotate. Hiring somebody was one of the best decisions I ever made. My coach said, you need to hire somebody. And finally I did, and it was like a game changer. Isn't that the toughest game thing to, changer. to yes. do though? Like yes. you freak it, like I yeah, gotta pay him and like, yeah. am I good enough? And all you wanna that keep stuff. him busy. But I remember I saw Lou Holt speak at a conference and you're talking about proactive, reactive. He always had an acronym win. What's important now? Mm -hmm. You gotta win. And so is what's important now, you know, meeting the appraiser, is it doing this? Or is it being proactive with the client and asking for business? You got to do that. I love it. You know, it's funny that the asking for business is something that I've always been. Right. Because we're not sales guys. We're just, we want to treat people good and do a good job. Yeah. And you think, but they might think Trevor's too busy. I don't want to bother him. He's got a family. He's got an office. He's doing a podcast, you know, whatever. You don't know unless you ask. And they That's already like you anyway. Well, it's so funny. That's one of the one of my sayings um, with clients, and now my kids use it against me. Is we know what the answer is if we don't ask. It's no, right? So we might as well ask. Um, and so, softly, I wouldn't have been married if I didn't. Ask. Uh, right? right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Jeez, I'm surprised you said yes. Yeah, I mean, God. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> both of both of us married up for sure, man. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, asking for it and making sure that like that's where I think making calls like. You know, when I just pick up the phone and I, I will literally come across a name on my list and my contacts, I'll be searching for someone else and be like, oh my gosh, I haven't talked to them in a while. And I'll just pick up the phone and call like no agenda. Right. Hey, just want to say hi. We haven't talked in a while. What's going on? And like, invariably something good comes from the conversation. I mean, I've never had someone be like, you know, screw off. Like, uh, you know, they, they, if they don't like me, maybe they don't pick up the phone, right. but like, I don't know that. Most of the time it's like, oh my gosh, it's great to hear from you, how are things, blah, blah, blah. And we just have a chat. And then that activity begets other activity. And then all of a sudden, you know, next week or a month later, that person has introduced me to someone. And it's just like little reminders that I'm in the business and that I, I try to provide value and I try to provide value that's in line with what I earn, right? right? Um, and And I think, you know, stepping up the game of actually asking for the business, it's a tough hurdle for a lot of people. And especially if you're not a salesperson. Right. 
you know, one thing is doing the unexpected extras. Doesn't have to be a lot. You've done the bright box. Mm-hmm. Our first closing we had because we were, you know, you remember what you sent me? I do. And I'm like, oh man, we're going to be buddies. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was funny. So I was dating Beth at the time and I was visiting her in Huntington and you and I closed our first deal. Yeah, I sent you flowers. Jeez. Oh, and, and I knew it was going to go to your front desk. And so I wrote, oh. and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, it was something to the effect of like, thank you for making our first deal so gentle. <laughs> You know, or like, thank you for so, making our first time so gentle. I tried to make it as like, it was so, so awkward. Yeah, I tried to do <laughs> that and it worked. And I was like, this guy is going to love this. Uh, and that from then on, it's just, it, you know, we just know that we can banter and go yep. back and forth. And and, uh, and and then I called you and went to happy hour and had our first hang. That was it, man. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's and then literally it's been month after month. I mean, that is, you know, we, I've had to kick a few back recently, but like, we always get right back on track, but like, that's the one standing thing. And it's because we think so similarly and because we approach life and business so similarly. Um, Even COVID, we had the lawn chairs on your front We had lawn chairs on front. We did a little social distance happy hour. We made sure not to to miss it. Yeah, Yeah. that was, I think it was hot, but we we still did it. You're worth it. Yeah, we were shady. We had cold beers, we were fine, yeah. I think you actually brought some takeout too. Yeah, I did brought a a little little moto takeout. A little moto, of course, yeah. (laughs) Come on. Yeah, half Diet Coke at the end. (laughs) Just a little, just just a half, after you paid the bill. Oh, my gosh, so as, as, as a business leader, as someone who's growing your business, what are like, what are some of the things that you could tell someone who's out there looking to start a business or running a business or young burgeoning loan officers or loan officers who are stagnated? Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that, that you, for goal setting, for motivation, what's some of the stuff that you do to keep yourself after how many years? 17, is that what you said? Uh, 15. 15, 15 years, in this yeah. business. 16. <laughs> whatever it was a yeah. long time what are some of the things that you could that you can share as far as like what keeps you motivated what are what goal setting that's reasonable like mm-hmm. what are some tenets of your business that have allowed you to continue to progress through it so I, i've always set goals from going 15 years back even 20 years back my, i remember my dad sent me goals of things that i wanted to do by the time i was 40 and i could not believe that i achieved a lot of them but maybe the time i was in my early 40s and so I've always been a goal setter, short, mid and long-term range, but I only set one or two in a certain area that I wanna focus on. Right now, I got my my 10,000 steps I'm working on right now. Uh-huh. So I'm getting there, I'm getting close. Nice. But uh, you know, first thing I would think, if you're a new loan officer or even a realtor, write, get your 100 people. And I don't mean 100 people on Facebook or Instagram, name, email, mailing address, and a phone number. And that's what I started. And someone told me that when I got in the business. So I had a hundred names that I could write a note to that I could go see. So those mailers that I send out now that come out, I used to take each one and write a little note on them. Hey, Trev, your shirt looked awesome. That must be a medium, you know, yeah. <laughs> <Schmedium>. <laughs> medium, medium. <laughs> but so I, you got to get your hundred names and it, it does. Social media doesn't count for that. Uh, you got to go see your clients. And so, you know, big thing is set goals on how to win the day. Maybe it's two personal notes to people you know in your database. Maybe it's going to take someone to lunch. Maybe, you know, we do the pot buys, which are taking clients, you know, summertime, doing a pool noodle, use your noodle, call Trevor for your next home purchase. Uh, Just different fun stuff like that. So you gotta do that. You gotta see your clients. You gotta set a few simple goals in different areas of your life. 
and then recalibrate at the end of the year. So November is a great time, I think, to set up your 2022 goals. Yeah, it's so interesting that, you know, what I like about it is is you said, you know, a few goals, Mm -hmm. right? You're not getting silly. You're not setting 20 goals. You're not stretching yourself thin and you're not going too far on them. And I think that's something that I find that people entering a business like ours, right? Where your where your effort in and your work in directly benefits you financially, right? People tend to come into these businesses with goals that will set themselves up for failure, right? And it, what's interesting is I did that to myself this year. Hmm. I set myself up with a goal that was like, when I look at it now, I was like, dude, I was talking about doubling the size of my business in a year. I grew my business by... 20% last year. Like that should Phenomenal. that's good. Right. That should be real good. Right. But in doing all my calculations, running through and talking to my advisors and my coaches, it was like, okay, here we go. We put this down. And I found myself hyper stressed. Mm-hmm. I found myself not enjoying the business. Which I, I could tell by the way. Dude, right? Like tell. it's so funny. I'll show up for our happy hours and like 10 minutes into it, you're like, bro, what's going what's on? wrong? Right. And we always talk about it, mm-hmm. right? Whatever the situation is, you know, like I always lean on you for it. But like one of the things that I had done was set a goal that was outrageous. Like, okay, in three, four, five, six years, I can probably get there by growing my business by four, five, six, seven, 10, 12, 15, 20% a year. I'll get there. Right. Cool. But why do I have to get there right now? What I found is the weight of that and the stress of that and knowing every day that I was failing became too much. And I think people will enter these businesses or they'll be like, you know, you see these young kids on, on, you know, Gary Vee or whatever. They're like, I want to make a million dollars by the time I'm, you know, grow one chin hair. And it's like, dude, don't do that. Like you're going to, you're going to set yourself up for absolute failure. Like make it, you're going to make a million dollars by the time you can grow a gray beard. Right. Mm-hmm. Like whatever, make it reasonable. And so what the second I realized that my goals were actually stifling me, I toned it way down. I cut it like almost in half again, not to where I was this year, but like this year plus another like 15 percent. No, is this year plus another 20. And then I was like, ah, it still doesn't feel right. Cut it a little more. And now my goal is somewhere that it's like, dude, now I can look and realize I'm not that far off pace. And if I miss it, I'll still be good. I'll be okay. And I won't feel like a colossal failure versus setting myself up for these enormous goals. Like, you know, you know, going and saying, I'm going to, you know, date a supermodel or whatever and being overweight. It's like, dude, it's, you're just going to keep failing. Like set yourself up with reasonable, easily attainable, trackable goals. And what I love what you said about just having a couple, it doesn't need to be this multifaceted. Right. So one financial, one business, one personal, one health, one fun for me. And then you could have like a couple lifelong goals, but you know, my bags in the other room, I have my goals from 2002 in there. I carry around. No way. Yep. I, I could go get them and pull them out. And what did you, it, like, like just to what, remind you or what? Just to remind what it was like, what I was trying to do back then. One was, you know, paying off some credit card debt. Uh, it was saving $50 a month into a savings account. Just little small steps that over the years, you know, finally flipped into where now I don't have to pay off credit card debt because I paid it off because I set small goals of what I wanted to do. It wasn't, you know, try to take my business and 10 exit. 
that was absurd. My goal was this year, I'm going to hire an assistant or a team lead or whatever it mm-hmm. is, you know, someone for the office this, this time I'm going to try to, you know, for 30 days, walk 10,000 steps a day. Cause you know what you did a good job by the way with your what health. Oh, thanks. Man. Yeah, you did a great job. Thank See, you. See, I lean on you. Uh, you're lean very on disciplined. Me. <laughs> you're, you're, well, di- I mean, that one, I just found something that worked yeah. for me. But you right? set one little goal. I set one goal. And I think that's that's it too, right? You're tapping into like, what was my motivation for the goal, mm-hmm. right? So goals are great to have, but if your goals have, if you're standing on a hollow platform, if your goals are associated with something that don't really have meaning to your life, it's not going to work out. Right. My goal with losing weight was was longevity. I had two kids. kids. I just had Marty. I was carrying way too much weight. Like, you know, putting him to bed at night, getting up out of a chair was straining. And I was like, dude, this kid's going to grow up and I'm going to be, I'm going to be throwing, you know, football with him. I'm going to be chasing him around and be rolling around on the ground with him. And I was like, something's got to give. Yeah. It's inspiring, I, man. You did an awesome job. Thanks, so I, man. I just want you to know, it goes, does not go unnoticed. Thank you. Thank you. Well, yeah, I know you, you, you razz me every time I see you. I know. Uh, yeah. Whoa, 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 look at that shirt. <laughs> what, 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 what did you say the last time we were motor? You're like, what are you size 30 in the waist? Size like, 30. <laughs> I'm going to borrow your pants. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, no, I don't know if I'll ever get there, but I, I think setting reasonable goals and setting goals are like for me with, with my health, that's another good, mm-hmm. you know, goal metric. I don't step on the scale. The only time I step on the scale is when Beth is like, go weigh yourself. I think you're skinny. Oh, that's cool. Right. And so like every two or three months I'll, I'll step on there because for me, it's not about, it's not about what the scale says. It's about how I feel. Right. How am I feeling? And when I can roll around on the ground and I can, I can go outside and throw the football with, with Haley, who's playing flag football and go set her up for some drills and get out there and sweat it out. And then I come inside and I run around and I chase Marty, like, I, this last weekend, I I did that, and Beth was like, you know, she's like, I was talking to the girls about how different this weekend would have played out if we hadn't lost weight. Mm. I wouldn't have been able to do that. I it would have been it would have been a ton of work. It do you set been, goals with your family too, like Beth and the kids at all? Like, do they you know maybe get a a good grade in this class, or do you guys do that? You know, we it's I think it's more soft than that. Mm-hmm. Um, they're more micro goals. They're more like, hey, when you get home from school, run let's set up the cones and do 10 suicides. Oh, that's cool. like okay. by the time, uh, by the time pops is home, 10 short term goals, short term goals. Yeah. And right. And then they build on the success. And it was like, yesterday it was like, okay, I did six, right. When I got home and then I jumped in the pool <laughs> and then a little later I did four more. Cool. You did 10 mm-hmm. tomorrow. I'll try to do seven and three. There's and something about checking something off the list. I they, love it. There's there. And you know what? Kids like really crave that structure. You know, you think they don't, but they do. And like, setting little goals for everyone is important but like our goals are typically soft you know our kids get good grades they're well behaved mm-hmm. they they do the things so we don't have to like they have good parents trevor oh thank you very much <laughs> um i think they have a good mother i think yeah. that's the 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 most important thing but but i think setting and having the follow-through right mm-hmm. and the follow-through i think is the toughest with anything when you set personal goals and you set business goals when you help your kids set goals following through with the goal and following through with the mechanism that if you don't meet that goal, what's the consequence? And I think raising kids to realize that there are consequences in life, you can train them and talk to them about that. And you can tell them, Hey, there are consequences. You can show them consequences for their actions, but oftentimes they got, they just got to figure it out. Right. It's like, okay, you, you didn't do much to prepare for this thing. And now you're going to go and try out for the thing. And like, 
okay, how'd it go? And it's like tears in the eyes. It's like, okay, what do you think you could have done different? Well, I could have practiced. They're like, yeah, could have. I was just thinking, so every time we meet, one good thing always comes out of it, right? We always say something good comes out of it. So you know what's coming out of this? What? Next time we get together, we're going to write a goal in each area of our life for okay, both of us. Okay, let's do it, man. Next happy hour. Next happy hour. And that'll, you know, we'll be leaning, we'll be, we'll be approaching, would you the say November? Yeah, like October, November, Yeah, September, I mean, we're, I mean, we'll get September. together in like two weeks, yeah. but we'll set, we'll set goals. And then, yeah, as we're Vince approaching Vince might look November, at us all weird, but whatever. He always does. <laughs> he looks at you more weird. It's funny. Both of us tend to wear our pink shirts in there and he's just like, he just Pastels, gives us the, yeah, pinks, yeah, yeah, great. yeah. I love it. Yeah, we do it on purpose. So you gotta, you gotta get that guy riled up. Um, what else, man? Uh, what what is there anything else that you're leading into? Anything else that you think is super important for for consumers to know? Is there anything in your business right now that you're like, people need to know this? Well, people need to know that, you know, obviously interest rates are still very, very low. And there's I heard a statistic, there's something like four to seven million people that can still benefit from refinancing. Whoa. But a lot of people don't realize that if they bought a home and had a really good interest rate and they do have mortgage insurance they could actually call their loan servicer and apply to have the mortgage insurance removed and not even have to refinance because refinancing costs money. You have appraisal, unless you get a waiver, you have a mortgage, you have title. Mm-hmm. But if you have a good rate, just call the, the mortgage bank that your loan is with and see if they'll get rid of mortgage insurance. And that might save you 100, 200, 75 bucks a month. I love it. In this marketplace of rapid appreciation, mm-hmm. it's if you put three, five, 10% down, Right. You could get there really quickly with with uh, the way your home is super quick. And then the other thing too is if you're planning on keeping your house a while, is if you refinance into a fifteen or twenty year, and you do the math, you can save a hundred up to two hundred thousand dollars over the life of a loan. It's I mean that's big boy money. That's big boy money, and that's money that can go to retirement mm-hmm. and other things. Man, that's it. That's uh that's amazing. And that's one of the things that you and I have always focused on. Like when when you helped me to get my first, uh, well, my when I bought my house with Beth, it wasn't my first house that I bought, but when Beth and I bought the house, like you and I sat down and worked through my finances and figured things out and what's the best approach. And like that consultative, that true wanting the best for me is something that you apply to everyone. And I see it time and time and time again. And so uh, I think it's important to, you know, know that like these little hacks, right? Yep. Call your servicer. Um, you may not even need to do a refi to save a couple hundred bucks a month. But That's you call your bank, they're not going to tell you that. No. They're going to tell you to refinance because they want to make more money. They want to make more money. And and yeah, so. Not that we don't want to make money. Don't get me yeah, wrong. Everyone wants to make but money. if it makes sense, then we'll do it. If it doesn't, then we won't. Yeah. And we'll tell you. And people appreciate that. Yeah. I love it, man. Well, hey, look, I think this is a good time for us to wrap. Um, so soon? Yeah, so soon. Jeez. It's been so soon. Um, <laughs> You and I always have great conversations, and this is one of the purposes of the Halpern Residential, um, uh, the What's Halperning podcast, is to bring the conversations that I get to have with people to anyone who wants to listen. And you know, having you come in here and having one of my best friends be able to sit down and and uh, talk a little philosophy and talk about your business has been a ton of fun. So thank you so much for coming in. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. And I always said, if I ever got married again to the same woman, you'd be in my wedding. Yeah, well, different I woman, mean, I'd be there too, no, but it's not no, happening. No, no, yeah, no, I know we that, always but... say that. Like, like literally, if we had to press the the reset button on our on our weddings, you oh, and I yeah. would be groomsmen for sure. Yeah, but keep up the good work. I know every time I talk to your clients, they love you. So it's just, it's an honor to be here. Thank you. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming. You got it.